whatever God's done this weekend in you and through you. So I want to give you four pieces, four principles, or four areas. Man, as you're walking out of here, don't let it just be an experience, but okay, God, what now are you doing with this and what are you wanting to do? Uh, so we're in a process of sanctification. Um, I just I just know this sounds a little bit weird and, and uh, interesting right now, but I just, if you know this song, just go there with me. I'm not, I'm not a singer. That's not my gift, but... Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in your strength and your power. Come in your own special way. Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in your strength and your power. Come in your own special way. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here in your presence. We say, have your way. It's all for the glory of Jesus. Always been you, always is you, always will be you. But the, the words that come out tonight and the, 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 the notes that are sung and the thoughts that are heard, God, let them bring you glory, honor, and grace. God, do some things in us tonight that... that only you can do paradigm shifts and callings and grace deposits, truth impartations. We yield to you in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. It doesn't have to be spectacular. We just want it to be supernatural, Lord. And we thank you for it. That's what you bring, Holy Spirit. You bring your super to our natural. And you always glorify Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. So tonight, talking about four sources of lack of peace in my life, and this will, I hope it, I hope it'll make sense. But I think some of you will latch onto all four of these, and some of you will latch onto one or two of these. But as I came through this season, I was trying to get my bearings about me, and I just began to say, Lord, where is this coming from? Because if I know where it's coming from, I can now take right steps, biblical steps. So number one is the spiritual attack of the enemy. The first place of a lack of peace in my life. Is a spiritual attacks of the enemy. So where this is coming from, this new book that will be out next month, uh, last, last in October, is called Abiding in the Prince of Peace. And the Prince of Peace, right? It's not just a song we sing at Christmas, right? That word prince in the Hebrew means commander or the, the uh, commander or the insister of. Like it's it's the, the Lord of your peace. And so, so many people in this season, as a pastor and a pastor to many pastors, the amount of people that have come uh, to the table and said, I have no peace, I'm dealing with anxiety, I'm dealing with stress, I'm dealing with oppression, depression, just blew me out of the water. And so, uh, this is this is a, a season that if you're not dealing with this, don't close your, close your notepad and say, it's not for me. Say, it might not be for me, but I'm a man of God and it's for somebody in my life. And so, I'm going to be prepared that when that person needs it, I am a prepared disciple, right? 
I'm ready for them. See, that's the thing about when you're not in a process of sanctification, you make it all about you and it's all about the things of, of your enjoyment. But when it's about the kingdom of God, you're saying, Lord, lead and direct me. I'll be, a, I'll be a vessel, which means sometimes, as Paul the Apostle said, he said, sometimes I'm, I am dying the death to the Corinthian church. He said, I go through death for your sake. Well, that's not fair. Well, that's how the kingdom of God works. So, spiritual attack of the enemy. And here's the thing about the spiritual attack. If you are being attacked by the enemy, welcome to the human race, right? <laughs> welcome to being a Christian. And if you don't think you're being attacked by the enemy, maybe you're in bed with the enemy. <laughs> maybe you're walking in the direction that he's going. Maybe you're not a threat to the enemy. And if you're not, I mean, the enemy is, is assaulting the people of God. The enemy has a plan for you. We always talk about God's, but the enemy has a plan for your life just like God does. And so learning this principle, well, here's the thing about the spiritual attack of the enemy. I'm not going to spend much time on it because guess what? He's defeated. I'm not minimizing when you go through spiritual attacks. He's defeated. Isaiah 54, 17 says, uh, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every voice that rises against you uh, will be condemned because this is the heritage of the children's Lord. Colossians 2.15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So, over them in it. so Jesus... The name we sung about, the name we declare, he is the Lord over all. So the enemy, moving on, that, that one's an easy one. So you can write that down and say, if there's a spiritual attack in the night, you've got to learn sometimes as a disciple how to, how to do that war and do that battle and to pray with people and all those things. But, but really, at the end of the day, he's defeated. Number two, where does my lack of peace come from? Physical, neurological, or psychological? This one was such a revelation to me. The Lord began to show me this because I, I was dealing with so many things and I found out uh, from a lot of specialists you talked to. It blew my mind. I've studied neurology recently, talked with a lot of doctors and got first-hand information, read a bunch of books. Did you know that the place that we feel or, or process pain, it's actually is the same place uh, physically, it's the same place emotionally in our brains? Did you know that science is now finding out that, that the stomach, you know, they talk about that gut feeling, that there's these neurons that are connected to our brain that they're in the area of our stomach. And so here's the thing. Many times we're dealing with physical issues, and so it causes our minds to be at unrest, right? Many times we're dealing with unrest in our minds, and it causes physical symptoms. The stats on this blew me away. I mean, these are years and years of studies where people will come into the doctor and the doctor will say, there is nothing physically, like there's no reason why you're sick, but your body is failing and it has to do with stress, anxiety, mental. And so the, that's the way God created us that way. And so whether it was your mental first or your physical, I found myself where I was having physical issues and was it something going on in my head first or was it the physical? Either way, it's something to be aware of. And I want to give you a few stats. 50 million people in America last about 2020 reported they experienced panic attacks, phobias, other disorders linked to anxiety. The number one mental health issue in America is anxiety that it's exceeded depression this last year. 90% of adults have severe depression. From January to uh, September 2020, there was a 93% increase over the 2019 total number of anxiety screens and a 62% increase uh, over uh, 2019 of depression screens. According to stats, it seems we have the most anxious nation in the world. Why would that be? We're the most prosperous nation. We have all the freedoms. Everybody wants to be us. Everybody's trying to get here. Why are we so anxious? And these stats are very similar in the church as outside the church. And so why? Why do we allow our minds? So again, is it a physical or a neurological or, or a mental something going on in, in my life? 
Um, these are all from the Mental Health America National Alliance on Health, Anxiety, Depression, Chronic Diseases. I'm, I'm, I'm taking some time because these affect so many of us. What's a chronic disease? A chronic disease is an ongoing, generally incurable illness or condition such as heart disease, asthma, cancer, diabetes, costing lives and reducing quality of life. Chronic diseases are the leading cause of death and disability in the United States. So many of us have found a new Bible recently, and it's called the CDC, right? And the World Health Organization, and John Hopkins, right? I thought, I thought that'd go over a little bit better, but that's where I got all these stats, right? We, we believe all of these stats that are coming up, but yet we overlook these. Listen to this. 45% of the population have at least one chronic disease. Chronic diseases are, are responsible for seven out of every 10 deaths in America. 70% of deaths are for chronic diseases. More than 1.7 million Americans each year. Uh, chronic diseases can be dis uh, disabling, reduce a person's quality of life. Now listen to this. These diseases are often and most times preventable and frequently manageable through early detection, improved diet, exercise, and treatment therapy. Many chronic diseases could be prevented, delayed, or alleviated through simple lifestyle changes. Why aren't we listening to the CDC on that stuff? Or John Hopkins or the World Health Organization? Why it is, is because we're listening to all the voices that are driving the narrative, right? This is right in front of us. It's happening and it's affecting our lives. And here's the thing. I grew up in an environment where everybody had hyper faith. Everybody was like, I don't have to eat right. I don't have to exercise. I don't have to take care of my body. It's passing away anyways. And God's going to heal me. I have faith to be healed. Wouldn't go to the doctor. Wouldn't take care of themselves physically. And I, I buried many of them premature in our church and, and others because they're sitting there at, at the, their life shortened because they didn't do simple things that they could have done. So this changed my perspective years ago whenever I started doing some physical changes. The doctor told me, you got five major issues, <laughs> and I got medicines for all of them. I said, I'm not anti-medicine doc, but there's a better way. So I went functional medicine, made some changes. All five of those things in my life disappeared. He said, you can't do it without medicine. Amen. I love my doctor. He's a friend of mine. I went against the doctor's advice because I knew there was a better way. And so now my life's changed. Well, here's the thing. Where I'm going with all this is many times I struggled in ministry. I burned my body. I went, went, went. These physical ailments caused stress and anxiety, and I could do something about it. But it took discipline. Oh, whoa, whoa. We can't cuss in church, right? Discipline. It took a plan. It took asking the Lord. It took, you know, changing some lifestyle. And again, at the end of the day, I, I wrestled with God, and I said, God... This house is, is temporary. Your, your Bible says this, this. Why should I have anything to do with it? Well, guess what? My money's temporary. And he says, steward it well for the glory of God because you're going to give an account. My house is temporary. All these other things are temporary. We preach about how we should manage them well for God, but we don't do it. So I dug into the theology. I didn't make a change. I still wasn't ready to make the changes physically, even though I was struggling and suffering in life until I went to the Bible and I found the theology behind it. And I said, woe is me, I repent, Lord. You actually have said, my spirit does not dwell in temples made with hands. My spirit dwells in you. Amen. And he said to honor the temple, the Holy Spirit. We always preach sexual sin. We always preach, you know, all these other things. But how we manage our physical bodies. And I say that because it was a lack, it was a source of lack of peace in my life. And maybe that's where you are as well. 
And so I'm trying to help you see, you know, what that looks like. 80% of heart disease and 80, uh, stroke, 80% of type 2 diabetes, and 40% of cancer would be preventable with lifestyle change, diet, and exercise. Again, this is not Nate stuff. CDC, World Health Organization, John Hopkins, right? This blew my mind. But why are we not yelling this from the mouth? Why, why are people talking about this? But we'll talk about all the other things. So, uh, Philippians chapter 2. You ever heard of the man of Epaphroditus? Epaphroditus, this was Paul's fellow worker. I'm not going to read all of it, but he was sick, almost unto death, and they were sad for him. But here's what Paul said. Read verse 29. Therefore receive him in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. But when it's my time to go, God's going to take me. Epaphroditus didn't take care of himself, and his ministry was almost cut short. Paul, others had to step in. There was a vacuum because Epaphroditus went, went, went. But let me tell you something about, I used to think the more meetings I had, the busier I was, the earlier I got up, the more spiritual I was. I went 100 miles an hour. I mean, you, you could not believe how much I was doing. And the Lord began to show me about Sabbath and teach me these things. And that was on the emotional, you know, spiritual side. Then he began to show me these things in the physical about what that looks like in my life. Do I want to be Epaphroditus and I want to go 100 miles an hour and hit a wall at 35 years old? And the doctor says, I mean, there's not much more I can do for you. you got to make some changes. Or do I want to just be oblivious to that and just say, well, God's a sovereign God and I trust him. Well, that's true, but he's, he's made clear in Scripture. And again, I just wrote a book called The Body of Physical Health. And it's, it's got the, most of the books about theology. What's the Bible say about our bodies? And so an encouragement to you is what are we doing with the temple of God? If, if the temple of God is not in a good place now, here's the thing that people often ask me when I talk about this. What about the 20%? Well, that's where I believe God is a divine healer. Or God says, I'm not choosing to heal you, and there's a purpose. Again, our daughter with Turner Syndrome. She can't just to make lifestyle changes. It's genetic. She's missing an X chromosome. It's a big deal. But guess what? She, less than 2% of kids or girls uh, that are uh, diagnosed with Turner syndrome, they spontaneously abort. They don't even live. She's a walking miracle. She has just surpassed. Doctors said expectation after expectation. She is a living miracle. All the things they concern. We just went to our endocrinologist for the last time. He said, "Look, I don't need to see her anymore. She's surpassed all of our expectations." And we all cried together. And he's a Christian man. And he's just like, I don't know what else to say. God's hands on this. So again, now here's the thing. If God wouldn't have done that in her life, He's still God. I still don't. I still trust Him. But that's what He did in our story. There's other stories of physical. But here's the thing: eighty percent, we have something to do with it, right? I don't know. It's just not fun, and I feel like you know the, the butthead that I get to share some of these things because people look at me and they say, "Oh, you're you know." I'm, I'm, anyways, I, I'm not going to get into all that, but I'm the messenger. And so, why I say that is because this was a huge lack. A source of lack of peace in my life. So maybe in your life there's something physical, neurological, psychological. And here's the second half of that. The mental side of that. The psychological side. So again, my story, my wife's story, severe depression, all that stuff. When she got up and shared her testimony when God delivered her, she said, if I it dramatically changed my perspective, she had said it to me years before, she said, Nate, if I'd have gotten diagnosed with cancer, the church would have gathered around. They would have done a 5K. They would have done it. They said, Pastor Nate, take time down. We love your wife. You know, all these things. But when it's mental illness, people just back up. And the church has treated mental illness horrendously, horrendously. Just have more faith. Suck it up. Get over it. You're just lazy. All these things. When you got people who are mentally sick, 
And we don't, we don't have the compassion and empathy to say, my God, how can I take my shoes off? This is sacred ground. How can I serve you? How can I have compassion? You're sick. You wouldn't tell a cancer patient just to kick him in the side and say, have more faith, get up, be, just stop being lazy. But someone's got mental illness and we, we just want to just overlook it. And so there are people in all of our lives who struggle with these things more than ever. The stats are through the roof. Well, don't be in my church. They're all around you. They don't give. They don't want to talk about it because most churches aren't a safe place to talk about these things. Just like porn. I, I mean, I can't tell you about a pastor said, yeah, we did a message on sexual purity and we set up a booth in the back and said, hey, anybody that's struggling with porn, sign up. In the foyer, on your way out the door in front of everybody. Like, yeah, okay, sign me right up. Like, Something's not clicking with you know. You 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 literally you're just going to call everybody out publicly and shame them rather than say, hey, this is a safe place. Let's let's do behind closed doors and let's love and let's encourage. And I'm not saying there's not times to publicly deal with things, but you see how how we can get backwards on that. Everybody still with me? Yeah. All right. Sometimes I don't know if people are listening if they're falling asleep. And I've always said if you need a nap, if that's the Holy Spirit leads you to, that's fine. Number three. So. Attack the enemy, physical, neurological, uh, uh, psychological. Well, let me just back up on the psychological stuff. It, it's, I want to be careful on this because I am, I minister and am in, in, in circles with a lot of people. So I don't want to make blanket statements that isolate anybody. Because I just determined a long time ago, I have my personal convictions. But just like Paul said, if it offends my brother for me to eat meat, I'll never eat meat again. If, it, if my brother, if, if I have to wear something on my face or if I have to do something that I disagree with, it's, it's not a, a spiritual principle. It's just something that I can do to sit across the table and love somebody, then I'm going to do those things. Okay, so I'm in the middle of all of this, and I think love trumps all of that. But we put more faith in government, in the medical community, and all these things than the Word of God today. And here's the thing. We don't say that. Oh, I trust God. But we live that. We listen to all the other voices in our life and we allow the fear, we allow the anxiety, we allow the stress and we allow, we get worked up about things. And at the end of the day, where's God in all of those things? And I love this ministry influencers all the time in the last year. And, and I'm a part of Body Network and Catalyst as well. Where's your stance on some of these things? And we're like, we're not getting involved. That's not a theological issue. We're about knowing Christ, making them know. We're about driving people vertically. We're about Jesus. And if, if, if we can agree on that, then Jesus takes care of all the other things. And so there are people in your life, I guarantee you, that are struggling with mental struggles. Call it illness, call it whatever you want. And there's shame associated with that. And I pray that you hear me. I pray that you hear me tonight. There are husbands suffering. There are children suffering because wives and mothers are dealing with it. There are parents that are finding out their kids are struggling and, and dealing with all these things. Like the amount of youth that even in our region and even some in our own youth group, and we find out the things they're going through and they're cutting themselves and all the things, they're hidden things. We've got to open this wide and say, Lord, create a safe altar for the church that we say all sin is sin and everybody's, everybody's safe at the altar. And we're going to walk with people with discipleship and love and compassion. And I'm going to get off my high horse and my pride and presumption because it's nothing I've ever dealt with. And I'm going to come down low to somebody else and say, I have grace for you. I have compassion for you. Because I, I don't know about you. There are things in my life that I have been so judgmental about people. And then the Lord takes me through a season and just gives me a, a small glimpse of what they dealt with. And I'm, I feel like Isaiah, woe is me. Woe is me. To have the grace and have the compassion. I went through six months of what I would call mental anguish. 
And I sat with my wife one day and I said, honey, I said, you're the strongest, bravest woman I've ever known, person. You got up every day with what I've, I've been dealing with for, well, it was four months at that point. I said, and you stood up every day and you said, I'm going to fight through that. And I'm going to love Jesus and I'm going to serve well. And you were mentally sick. I said, I'm not even to the degree you were. I'm a small, like I thought I was the strong one over here serving you all these years, right? I wasn't the strong one. I was the one saying, Lord, get her better so that I don't have to deal with it. Really, that was my motivation. Lord, get her better so that we can move on with her life. I missed so many opportunities to serve her in her distress. And so the body of Christ is that. Discipleship is that. The guy that continues to be addicted, the guy that's struggling, the guy that just keeps, he's showing up, but he's, he's not seeming to get any better. We're called to serve him. We're called to wash his feet, lame the maim the blind. I heard recently, I'm not just way off here, but I heard recently um, there was a group that, that we work with and they were dealing with some things in the region and, and they take in men and they, they do some things with restoration from addiction and all these things. And so basically the city told them, we don't, we don't want to approve what you're doing there. They had a, a city council meeting and people showed up in droves. And, and almost every person that talked to the city council said, I'm a God-free person. I know everybody deserves a check, second chance. I love what you guys are doing. I appreciate that, the dot, that it's self-righteous, self-righteous, self-righteous. But I don't want you in my backyard. I don't want you around my kid. I don't want you. I don't want you. I don't want you. And we do this as Christians all the time, and we don't realize we do it. I went and spoke at their event. Guess what I did? I took my family with me. I said, come on, guys. These men need to see some, some family. They need to see some kids that love Jesus and who are there to just be encouraged and encouraged. And it was a sacrifice because there's, there's a lot of people struggling in this environment. I'm like, I'm taking my kids because they're going to know what it looks like to serve the least of these. And so, again, wherever that leaves you, I don't know who that's for, but that's for somebody. Moving on to number three. Again, areas of a lack of peace in my life. Number three, I'm anchoring my peace into shakable things and not Christ. Anchoring my peace into shakable things and not Christ. We're all guilty of this, it's just to what degree. I found out early on in this season, the Lord began to show me all these things. And here I am, I would consider myself a godly man, disciple, abider, man of faith. I think I've seen some miracles. I mean, we, we just see a lot of cool things in the ministry that we do. And God began to show me, Nate, you're putting your faith in shakable things. And when those things get shaken, you're shaken. Jesus said in Matthew 7, he says, therefore, whoever hears these saying of mine and does them, everybody say does them, does them. That, that's, that's sometimes hard to get out, right? And does them. I, I, don't, I don't like it much when people say, man, Pastor Nate, that was a great sermon. What I say is, get with me six months and tell me how it's been applied to your life and how it's affected your family and made some change. That's what I want to hear. Because anybody can say amen. Anybody can give analytical you know, information. We, we, we are the most biblically taught people many times that don't do anything with their head. We're still biblically illiterate, but we've heard so many sermons and read so many books. Jesus is saying, if you hear these sayings of mine, um, I will liken this to a wise man who's built his house on the rock and the rain descended. Uh, this is the person that does them. Uh, the floods came, the winds blew beat down the house, and it did not fall, for it was found on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, everybody say, does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew beat down that house, and it was fell, and the fall was great. 
So when we put our faith in shakeable things, we may talk a good talk and we may say, I trust you, Jesus, but we do the opposite. You know, we may say that I believe you, Lord God, but when things happen, we freak out. We don't worship. We don't confess the word. We don't get into the word. We don't know our word. I've told people for years, what's the, man, what's the best thing that I can do as a disciple? Read the Bible. Increase the, 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 how much you eat the word of God. Increase that. I don't care how much you read in your Bible. Read it more. Read the Word of God. Well, I don't have time. Okay, let me check your Netflix account. Okay, let me see how many football games you're watching. Okay, let me see, let me see, let me see. We all have the same amount of time. The thing about time is it's the most valuable because once you spend it, you don't get it back. You can earn more money. You can develop new relationships. But once the time's gone, you don't get that back. And so it's an investment. What am I investing my time in? I'm not saying don't do certain things. But when somebody tells me I don't have time, I say, yeah, I'm a busy man. Let's, let's compare notes. And people say, how do you write so many books? And how do you read so much? And how do you, how do you? I say, I'm just a big nerd. I don't have a lot of hobbies. I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't do a lot of that stuff. It's not because I'm more spiritual. It's just I learned years ago that there is something better in my life that's more important. And it's a deeper investment. And so, again, when you do the word of God, you're blessed and it's on a foundation. But when you, and you hear it and know it, and you can quote it, but you don't do it. He calls you foolish. I thought Jesus was like a hippie and talked nice to everybody and loved everybody and he was just so graceful, you know. Here's the thing. We, God's not a tolerant God. You know, this culture of, you know, secular humanism and all these, you know, ideas of postmodernism and truth is relative to my situation, that's not God. It is anti-Christ. Jesus and God, they are not tolerant. Just read the Bible. Sin, there's an account for sin. It may be pleasurable for a while, but you're going to give an account for that sin. There's going to be consequences. And part of people that aren't being sanctified is here's the thing. Many times we don't see the fruits of our sin right away, and so we think God's okay with it. Oh, God didn't strike me dead. God's okay. I'm still getting blessed in business. I'm still all these things. And here's the other thing. Many times we don't see the fruit of our obedience and our investment in kingdom things, and so we say, well, God must not be in it, and we give up. We've got to go with God's word. Whether I ever see the benefit or not, I may just be the one who plants and somebody else waters and it's God's increase. I remember years ago when I was a new pastor, a new lead pastor, and the Lord took me to John 4 where he talks about, I think it's John 4, where he talks about um, you'll, you'll sow where you didn't, you won't read, you'll reap where you won't sow. And I was reading and I felt the Lord asking this question. Are you willing to, to sow where you don't reap? <clears throat> And I was like, ooh, that's a tough one. I'm a prideful man right now. I'm trying, you know, I, I want to sow and I want to reap it. And I said, you know what, God? I said, it's your kingdom. I absolutely could. And he said, are you willing to reap where you haven't sown? You may think that's an easy thing, but prideful men say, you know what? I'm not going to do this now. You know, Glenn, that's Glenn's thing. And I'm not going to come in. Well, if Glenn sowed into the kingdom and God wants you to come along and harvest it, that's your role is to be the harvester. And it says in the scripture that the harvest. The ones who harvest and the ones who planted, what? Rejoice together, for the harvest is being reaped. And so, anyways, Hebrews 12, 20, 25 to 29, talking about the shaking, you know, when the things that are shaking. Isaiah 7, 2, I was reading through the, I just read the Bible every year, but, and it was told to the house of David, saying, serious forces are deployed in Ephraim, so his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. God showed me, that's a picture of the church, so many of us today. We hear the news, we hear the new CDC guidelines, we hear what's happening in politics, and our hearts go wherever the wind blows, instead of being anchored in the rock of Christ Jesus. 
You know, we got people, I can't take the amount of people that have sat down with me and say, oh, you know, I, I believe this is the end, Nate. I believe this is the Antichrist. I had a prayer lady come to me. She's like, we got a prayer group and we're praying. We think this whole thing's, it's, it's part of the Antichrist. We think it's the mark of the beast and all this. And I, I said, I leaned in like this said, praise Jesus. If it's the mark of the beast, guess what? We're closer than we've ever been. And let me give you one more note. This is what I said to her. I said, if it's the Antichrist and the mark of the beast, who the heck do you think you are to stop up prophetic words from a sovereign God who said it's going to take place? And she just leaned back like this and she said, well, I don't know what to do with that. I said, why don't you do what Jesus told us to do? When you see these things, Luke 21, what did he tell you? Oh, what was me? Pray against it. Run to the hills and hide. He said, no, no, look up. For your redemption draws nigh. It's closer than it's ever been. So come hell or high water, no matter what's coming on the scene, this book gives me the answers and the hope every time. But we're not in the book. We're listening to every other voice in our life. Or we're only going to the verses that we like and we're not looking at the ones that God's giving to us. Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from where my help comes from. Where does my help come from? The Lord God, maker of heaven and earth. I think some of us, we've got so caught up in looking horizontally and put all of our faith into shakeable things, we've just lost sight of looking up. And I'm not opposed. If God's called you to be in politics, I thank God for you. If he's called you to be in legal, and we need great pop, Christian lawyers and Christian politicians and all of that stuff. But here's the thing. I've said this for years. We've got so many Christians that are nationalistic Christians that they think, I had another lady come to me a while. She says, if we lose, pers- if we lose religious freedom in America, the church is over us. <laughs> what are you talking about? I take care. I just schooled her a little bit about church. Have you ever studied church history? The two greatest moves of God came in the century where uh, Christianity was outlawed and, and they martyred them and killed them and they slaughtered them and made public spectacles of them. First and second century, right? The second greatest one in history. Second greatest one. If you study this, I've studied all the books I've read in China. Whenever they opened it up, let the gospel in, and then they shut it down again, and they, they basically threw them out so they could just, you know, persecute them. They found out the underground church had multiplied, I mean, by tens of thousands percentage. It was unbelievable. Oh, there we don't have religious freedom. We don't need religious freedom. We need Jesus, right? And again, America is an anomaly. 97% of church history has been lived under persecution, and here we are. They took my post off of Facebook. Well, that's okay, right? And we think we, we call that persecution, right? Let's introduce you to some open doors guys and some, you know, voice of the martyrs and some of these people that are literally being persecuted. And we laugh about it and we make jokes and we make light of it, but here's the thing. Persecution probably is coming to America. I just, I think it is. I'm not welcoming it. I love America. I'm a patriot. I just think it's the greatest gift that God's given, you know, as far as nationalistic and things like that. But but my my, my Bible is, is first and higher than my flag, right? And I pledge allegiance to my Bible first, and I ever pledge allegiance to a flag. Again, I love America. I think God's raised up America for a lot of reasons, but we can get so nationalistic that we put Jesus with God. I remember years ago, I was a part of a church, and we literally had an American flag on the platform and a Christian flag. And I thought, talked to the pastor, I said, okay, the Christian flag, if you don't know church history, it's really poking the eye, right? The Crusader flag, right? The Crusades weren't like... You sure this is what we want, like? The church that tried to force people and they said, you know, convert or die? That's The Christian church did that, just like Islam does, just like others do. And then do we really want to put it 
Oh, but we put the cross in the middle. Okay, but they're all, they're all elevated in the same place in the same level. There's a problem with that. You guys still love me? You, you don't have to like me. That's not biblical. You have to love me. So we cannot like each other, but I, I need you to love me. All right, number four. This is the one to land the plane. When I say land the plane, if you, if you know me, that just means she's getting over the radio saying, or is beginning the descent. So we've got probably a long ways to go here. James chapter one. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for he has been approved. He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So where does temptation come from? We know that number one, temptation comes from the devil. And years ago, where's temptation come from? The devil. He's mean and nasty. Well, that's true, but also it says in verse 13, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone himself. God will test you, but he does not tempt. Temptation leads to sin. Testing leads to proving. God is all about testing you. He's going to prove your faithfulness. Verse 14, but when one is tempted, when he is drawn away by his own desires. And enticed. Then desire, when it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin on its full grown being for death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. I want to give you a nugget of truth that will absolutely change your life. This is complex. It's Greek, Hebrew. I mean, you've got to be a biblical scholar to get this. So are you ready? Amen. The thing about deception is it's deceiving. <laughs> we don't see it coming. We need bands of brothers. We need spiritual influence. We need governors, others in our life to call out the deception. Because if we are left on our own, we're going to be enticed and drawn away. And that thing's going to be, you know, hey, there's some conception. There's something happened. But when it's full grown, it will eventually birth sin. Sin will produce death. Spiritual death. Now, here's the thing that people, I just, I just... It blows my mind over the years. Whenever I talk on things like this, people just get crazy and they say, so you're saying I can lose my salvation? That's all they want to talk about. Why are you so concerned about losing your salvation? It's not like you, oh man, I've lost my keys. Oh, and where's my salvation? Like, I just don't know what happened to it. I think people get so caught up. My experience when I get down to brass tacks with people and start asking with them, because people, all, they're very concerned about getting to heaven and what's in it for them? And then they're like, now let me live my life for me. How close can I get to sin? How much can I do? Here's the thing I always tell them. I can, I can argue security of the believer and I can, leave, I can argue you can lose your salvation. I think there's enough biblical governance on all sides. Wherever you land on that. But here's the thing. If you abide in Christ, you don't have to ask the question. It's a current conversation right now. I'm abiding in Christ. So this is not speaking of losing your salvation. It's speaking of it will produce death in your life. So the things that God's breathing life in and the journey groups and the leadership in your home and the, 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 the leadership of your family, it's going to start producing death when you allow these things you're being enticed and drawn away into. And it is so subtle and it's deceiving. And so we've got to learn to sanctify the imagination for God's purposes. What does that look like? The, the, the number one thing you can do is just remove those influences from your life. I don't know why I'm so full of lust, Pastor. Well, what's going on? Well, I'm addicted to porn. Well, okay. You're looking at the images. Like, there's the, you remove that. And I'm not making light of it. It's, it's a struggle. I'm not making light. But it's like we get so, you know, I'm struggling physically. Well, you eat three Big Macs, you know, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And you get, well, maybe there's some dietary things we can talk about. And so, so many times it's removing those things from your life. Well, you know, we, we fast forward to the naked scenes and, you know, it doesn't really bother me. But you're struggling with lust. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. I know a lady years ago, uh, she came to me with her husband having severe depression. 
couldn't sleep. She just lived in torment, and uh, her husband traveled, and so she's freaking out. Uh, she just was struggling with that stuff. And so I began to just counsel and sit down. And finally, I said, hey, let's talk about some things. Well, come to find out, she had 24-7 news on her, on her TV. Like, that's all she watched and listened to. So number one, you can cut out. You don't have to say, you can't, you can't sanctify that. Just remove it. And number two, she said she loved horror movies. <laughs> My, my 10-year-old kid years ago was like, why, why do people watch more movies and then they're, they're fearful? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. God says he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but we want to go do fearful things. So again, removing the influence, but then if you can't remove it, you've got to be able to recognize, take it captive, and say what I'm going to do. So, uh, cutting off those wrong influences. So, in James 1, so this is where I want to land this plan. So, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of God does not produce the righteousness of God. So, years ago, I'm studying this, and I'm thinking, something's not adding up here. In this context, he's not talking about anger or wrath, right? Why does he say, be slow to speak, slow to wrath? Well, what's, he, what's wrath got to do? In this entire context, in James 1, I'm a context guy, right? You study hermeneutics, like you, it's a, what context? So as I began to study the word wrath, I saw another Greek meaning that made more sense in the context. James Strong's Concordance in Bible Dictionary defines the, the instance of wrath, the word orge, as a desire. So it can mean anger, it can mean wrath, but it can also mean a desire. It can mean a reaching forth or an excitement of the mind. So some of you are starting to click this, what it's saying. It can mean um, a passion. So the primary word, orego, that it originates from describes a stretching out or a reaching out or a yearning for something or a longing or desire. So let's put it all together. If we put it all together, it says, James tells us to be slow to what we grasp for, slow to what we long for, what we wish for and what we want and what we aspire to. He is cautioning us to be slow to pursue our desires and affections with excitement. He says the wrath of man or... It could be anger, but it can also mean the passion of man, the reaching after, the yearning, the desire, the longing, the aspiring of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Does that click with you? In the context, he's saying, don't just get a wild hair and go say, oh, I'm going to go do that. Or don't grab a hold of an image and just take it and run with it. He's saying, you've got to learn this. A spiritually disciplined individual learns to slow down. It's okay. What does God's word say about this? I'm going to measure this thought, this idea, this desire against God's word and see what happens. It goes on to say, well, we must filter our passions, our desires. So it continues the narrative of renewing our minds, winning the battlefield of our minds. Only God can define righteousness and your identity to him. Why would you come to him for salvation and then pursue your own passions, your own desires, your own wants? Why would we do that? And that, that's not God's best for us. So you're going to be tempted. Say, I'm going to be tempted. Temptation is not sinful. That's not the problem. The temptation is just what happens in life. Temptation from the enemy, your own sinful desires, it's when you're quick to act upon them without processing through the filter of God's word. Man, if I'm, if I'm calculating this correct, that seems like a lot of work. Welcome to discipleship. Root word of discipline. Why do you think Jesus cautioned people when they said, I'm following you? And he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Leave father, mother, die, crucify, lay down everything, give up your life, eat my flesh, drink my blood, nobody's with them anymore except the 12, right? Discipleship is a call to this. It's a call to be disciplined. It's a call to renew our minds. 
It's a call to say, my mind is the gateway to my heart, my soul. And I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. And what am I allowing? You mean to tell me if, if Jesus is, again, I, I remember when I was a kid, they used to do this. It's still applicable. Not a fearful thing. You can watch that. But Jesus is right here with you. You can do that act, but Jesus, he lives through the person of the Spirit lives inside of us. And I think one thing we're missing in our, our church today is holiness and consecration. We don't understand the holiness of God. See, grace is not a license to just act the fool in front of God. God is still holy. God is still sovereign. God is still, I mean, to be honored and to be put in a high place. I didn't grow up with a father in the home, but I know the dad. Like I had a friend I haven't seen in years, and he's my best friend growing up. And we made jokes about when he would just drive his dad nuts. And his dad was the calmest guy, but literally walked in the room one time, just looked at both of us, and just he picked up the phone, didn't even unplug it, just yanked it out of the wall, left the big hole in the wall. Like he pushed him to that point. And in Romans 1, there, there's this thing called active wrath and passive wrath. God's wrath is very passive until he says, you know what, you, you want to. You want to push me? He says, I'll give you over to that. In the Old Testament, lightning, thunder, you know, all those things. In the New Testament, he says, I'll give you over and I'll allow you. You go after that thing. It gets to the point where it says our, our spirit and our conscience becomes dull to the Holy Spirit. And it says we begin to quench the spirit because of sin, because of disobedience, because of pursuing these things, the wrath of man, the passion. Uh, does that make sense? And so leaving here, what are those things in our lives that God's asking? And I've got a few takeaway questions, but again, we're still in the context of James 1, and this should seal the deal. Right after that, after 19 and 20, we go into 21. Therefore, that's a conjunction. Again, we love big butts, a catalyst, and we love conjunctions, right? Therefore means what he just said applies to what he's about to say. Because of what he just said, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Not talking about salvation, but saving the soul. So again, wrath as far as anger and indignation doesn't make sense. But wrath as far as pursuing passionately whatever comes to my mind, that makes sense in this context. He says, don't do that, but lay aside this and receive this. I don't care how much you read your Bible, read it more, okay? Receive with meekness, humility, the word of God. And then he says, then be doers of the word. What did Jesus say? This is a man that if he does, if he doesn't, he's ignorant or he's foolish or he's good or he's wise. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Why? Deceiving yourself. So we got deception earlier where it says we can be tempted and drawn away by our own temptations. That's deception. He says you can be tempted and deceived. You can be in church every week and be the most faithful Christian and not be a doer of the word. I mean, think about the implications. You stand before Jesus and he's like... You, you memorized the Bible, you listened to that, but you didn't do anything. You know, I, did, I, I had a thing with my daughter years ago. We did this skit at church, and I said, hey, sweetie, I said, um, I asked you to clean your room, and, you know, your room's not clean, and what's going on? She said, oh, yeah, I thought about that a lot. <laughs> I said, okay, but the room's not clean. She said, yeah, actually, I actually did a, a study about it, and I wrote out a journal about it, and it was wonderful. I, I thought about, you know, cleaning my room. And I said, but your room's not clean. It's, you haven't done anything. 
And she said, sure. She said, I feel great about it. You know, I just, it made me feel good that you talked to me about it. And thanks, Dad. And then she walked away smiling, like just happy about it. And I said, but your room's still dirty. And you didn't. We do it with God all the time. God, I journaled about your word. God, I went to church. God, I went to, you know, the, the summit. What are we going to do? So what is it? Here's the takeaway. What information, and I promise I'm done for this. We're going to call, okay, you can go to, and, and Mark can come on up. For some reason, I want to call you Mr. Mark. I, don't know, I just appreciate, you know, you senior in my life, you know, Mr. Mark. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. What information am I allowing into the gateway of my soul? What does that look like in your life? I remember growing up, I couldn't watch Smurfs. I couldn't play Mario Brothers. There was a demon behind every tree, right? That's how I was raised. And now we got a generation that literally welcomes demonic activity into our home through the movies we watch. Through the, you know, I watched Disney's uh, movie with one of my daughters recently. And I, I called out five different worldviews and false religions. We talked about it. So you do realize, and my kids know that about me now. They're just like, okay, we're going to pause the movie and talk about it. I want them to be aware of these hidden messages. That are, so what am I allowing into the gateway of my soul? You take that second look, you objectify that woman, it's okay, all guys do that. No, you're giving conception to that temptation. The judgments or the things in your life, whatever that looks like. Number two, where am I getting my information from? Where do you get your information? Do you get around and coffee with a bunch of guys in the first, oh, did you hear the updates that the CDC and politicians and the president? And, or do you say... Let me tell you what Jesus talked to me about in my quiet time this morning. Amen. You know, what, what, what if, where am I getting my information from? Who am I listening to? I got off social media a long time. I literally get on, check birthdays, and, and post stuff. I'm a selfish social media guy. I just, I don't surf it anymore. Because I'm not going to listen to some guy sitting in his underwear in his mom's basement trying to tell me about my life. He doesn't know who I am. And he hijacks my, my page and wants to call me out for things. He has no desire to sit down and talk to me. Number three, what lies am I believing? I think that's a key. I, feel, I just sensed it. What lies am I believing in my life? You're not worthy. You're not good enough. God can't use you. My past is too ugly. I, I, I can't. I, I know I've got, God, he uh, delivered me from all that and God forgave me, but I'm going to live in shame the rest of my life. Those are lies, 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 lies. What voice are you listening to when Adam and Eve were naked in the garden and they said, God, we were afraid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? What information was introduced? Because last time I left you, everything was great. So what voice have you been listening to? Number four, what truth from God's word am I replacing those lies with? I wrote a whole book abiding in identity that for years I had no parts, stacks of them. I didn't, I thought I was an orphan. I thought I was a, a bastard was the word I used. I was just, nobody, no, no man loved me. My father didn't love me. You know, no men in my life would, you know, cared enough about me. I was this, this rogue person in life. And I started just reading these, these verses over and over. And then eventually I started believing them. I'm talking for years. I would read these verses sometimes every day of my life. And finally one day it was like, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am seated in heaven because I am adopted. I'm a son of God. And now you can't convince me otherwise. You're cocky. No, I'm not. I'm just confident. My kid's confident. He comes in my room and he kicks me and he jumps on me. And he's like, this is dad. We've got the relationship. He says, give me money. I want to do this for you. Can you do this for me? Like, there's a relationship. So... What lies you or what truths are you replacing? And then the last one, do I have accountability outside of my own brain? Do I have accountability outside of my own brain? Well, uh, this porn thing, me and Jesus are going to deal with it. No, nope, you got to get accountability outside your own brain. 
well, this mental struggle, I'm depressed, and you know, I'm not going to talk to anybody, though. you got to get it outside your own brain. God created you deficient by design when you try to do life by yourself. Proverbs 18.1 says, an isolated man rages against all wise counsel. God gave you biblical community. Vertically, yes, all day long, but we go vertical individually, sure, but together. You need people in your life. Does that make sense? So what we're going to do now, hopefully... That all was good and wonderful. But what I'm going to do is we're just going to open it up um, just for a few moments here. Um, and then I'm going to let Brian do whatever Brian wants to do as far as if prayer goes wrong, if there's a lot of prayer that, that's needed, then Brian can, you know, take it. I know a lot of guys are wanting to meet and do some stuff with the community. I don't know about, I don't know what all the groups are going to do. But um, I believe I believe this is a moment, again, not not trying to reduplicate there's that, but again, there's people uh, that, that said they just wanted some prayer. And, and so there might be something for you. It may be a time where you just say, man, this is something that God spoke to me and called out. Um, can we get our prayer leaders up here, blue lanyards? And, and I didn't make this clear that if you need prayer for something and you're a leader, go get prayer first. Deal with your soul first before you're dealing with some, before you're ministering to somebody else. And so we're just going to sing here a little bit. I'm going to be available to pray as well. Um, but just come out of your chairs. Uh, if you're not um, dealing with anything, then you'd be praying like it is you. You see a guy come up and you say, well, I wonder what's going on with him. No, go to the throne of grace for him like it's your kid or like it's your problem, like it's something. Or come up and join him. Have your brother on the shore. Go to that person, you know, and ask them if there's something that they want to be uh, prayed over. Father, we just, uh, real quick, we just thank you for your presence in here. And Lord, I've known you for a long time, and you have just never disappointed. I know that when... When we gather like this, I've seen you do miracles. I've seen you give people that were looking for certain outcomes in their finances or physical or emotions. And you you didn't change the situation. You changed their heart. God, is the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage. Satan, you are a defeated foe. I just want to remind you, you don't even want to give you place. I remember a place in scripture where it says, he's the one. He's the one who shook the nations and fooled the nations. And, I mean, just laugh. That, that's the peon. We give you so much voice, and we're not giving you voice here tonight. And so you are defeated in the name of Jesus. You're going to be uh, cast out tonight if you're oppressing people, if you're, if you're trying hard to. <laughs> Satan, you are a defeated foe, and it's through the name of Jesus. You are, you, you've been spoiled. You've been destroyed. The works of, of, of the enemy, Jesus came to destroy. He destroyed your works. Uh, you have no place in this place in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we welcome you. Holy Spirit, again, come Holy Spirit. We need you. We pray. Come in your strength and your power. Move in your own special way. Right now, do what you're going to do. Go around the room. Hallelujah. I believe there are some people here tonight. You've got, you've got situations going on in your home that are heavy on you right now, you need to come forward and you need to stand in for that, that individual. If it's a wife, if it's a child, I just sense that. So come forward and say, or, or forward or whoever, go to your friends or somebody. You need to say, man, I'm standing in the gap for that situation. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. I, I said that earlier. I feel like there's somebody or multiple people. It's not just you struggle with identity at times. We all do, I think. But you've literally just struggled with, you know, just almost self-hatred, almost self um, just huge insecurities. I believe the Lord wants to minister to you, so please find somebody to pray over. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father God. I believe um, 
I believe there are some people in here tonight. You've just said something, uh, even in just yesterday, um, in your quiet time, that the Lord, some big things the Lord was, was wanting um, to, to show you and to do in your life. And um, you need to consecrate that to Him tonight. I think there's somebody that is so overwhelming, you're, you're contemplating saying no. I think there are others that you've already said, okay, Lord, and you've tried to get ahead of what He's doing. Um, I think both those situations, you need to come and say, just consecrate that thing and say, Lord, I believe this is what you want, but I'm going to humble myself. I will run if you ask me to run. I'll sit if you ask me to sit. It's hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus.